you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. So this podcast has taken us to a lot of different places this season. Yeah, literally across the country. We were at a donut shop, voodoo. That's right. We went to get tacos, Chinese food, record shopping. And that's just you and I. I know. If you don't know what Megan and I are talking about, that probably means you didn't listen to the first part of this season. It's a nine-part serialized audio drama that is about love. If you haven't already listened, go listen right now. So, Eric, yes. after all of that, have you learned anything about love? I learned a lot about love, but I think I learned even more about myself. I've also learned that it's not just me. Everybody does wild things for love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why in this episode, we're going to give you the real real, but from the perspective of our listeners. I'm Eric Galindo. I'm Megan Tan. And this is Wild. Man, I cannot believe this. Oh my God. Like, I just woke up and I just had all the money in the world. Like, I can't even believe this. Like, I even got some, uh, what's the shoes called? Christy Louis BTs, Vuittons, whatever that is. I got a pair of them at my side. I got a Louis bag, Gucci bag, Fendi bag. I got, like, everything. I got some Gucci fries. You know, I popped the lenses out. Like, I got everything. So this episode, we're going to hear from our listeners all about their wild gestures for love. Also, the wild gestures someone else made to win their love. But you know, Megan, this season wasn't all about grand gestures for love. It was also about how sometimes love hurts a lot. It does. That's why they make all those songs. <laughs> about breakups, which is why we also asked our listeners to send us stories about their worst breakups. I think I'm going to cry. Don't worry, I got tissues right there. <laughs> Always be prepared. All right, Galindo, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Great. Let's go. Greetings. My name is Treveka Alcom. This is the story of the year my marriage survived and even thrived in a long distance relationship. It was about 20 years ago when my husband Dennis and I had been partners in this marriage thing for a mere 30 years. And I took a position in Southern California, but because my husband was still under teaching contract in the Chicago area, I moved out here while he stayed behind to complete the academic year and sell the house. We had two kids in college at the time. While we were apart, with occasional in-person visits, he sent cards. I received one card every other day, almost like clockwork. They appeared in my office mail, and I saved them all. I have not done a count, but I'm guessing about 100 cards came to me in the mail that year. You know, I've often thought that if he had sent emails or texts, we would not still have those tucked away in a box in our closet. 
And someday our kids and grandkids will open that box and discover those cards, plus other cards he sent me over the years. He started this card thing when we first met and started dating back at Wheaton College in the 1970s. Only then he created his own cards with original artwork and prose. They appeared regularly in my college mailbox. He has always loved figuring out and planning surprise celebrations, such as days like our 4,000th day anniversary, and more recently, our 17,000th day anniversary, which happened to be the week before COVID lockdown, which was kind of ironic. So that's my story of how our marriage survived a long-distance separation, but I suspect it survived primarily because both of us have been intentionally committed to this partnership for 50 years now and counting. I've been traveling about 36 hours before I deplaned after midnight with 220 other Americans in Odessa, Ukraine, then of the Soviet Union. He was the first to approach me, a Russian from a small village in Siberia. He handed me a flower and said, unfortunately, I don't speak English. I said, no, your English is very good. He repeated the one phrase he'd memorized to participate in the 1988 Soviet-American Peace Walk. Two and a half years later, we were married. We navigated the Cold War. Our marriage didn't survive, but we remain friends and share a child and now a grandchild. So I got divorced during COVID. I was completely over LA and decided to leave for good. I had a little money for my grandma and bought a tiny cabin up in the mountains above Santa Barbara for me and my dog. To be honest, I kind of bought it to impress this one guy at work who I'd had a crush on forever. Maybe everyone else knew about it except for him. As I was buying it, I thought, just ask him out. Worst case scenario, you move two hours away and never have to see him again. One amazing year of long distance later, I sold the cabin and I moved back to LA. I loved that cabin, but I love him so much more. I was able to be honest with him about my feelings, which was scary, but exciting. Meeting and falling in love with his family also helped me understand so much about him. Living in East LA, he takes care of street cats, cooks amazing meals in his tiny kitchen, and is just a generally chill and incredible guy. I love everything about him, and ultimately, I'm so glad I put myself out there. I'm Jeff Garrett. I'm 68 years old and got married three years ago for the first time to my wife. And I decided the day I was going to propose to her was going to be at a very romantic dinner. But instead, when she told me she wanted to go to the beach that morning, I set up another plan. So what I did is I took her ring and I bought a clam and boiled it which made it pop open, which clams do. And uh, then I cleaned it out, of course, and I put the ring inside of it. But what happened is you can't close it because once a clam is boiled and it opens up, it springs open. So what I did is I used a lightweight type of glue that would be enough to just hold it in place. And then 
uh, I put it in my pocket and we went walking on the beach. And so what I did is I said to her to set it up a little bit. Hey, let's collect some shells for her youngest boy. So I was uh, reaching down and picking up shells and putting them in on my pocket. And then I <clears throat> slipped the clam out of my pocket, put it in my hand and said, hey, there's a shell there. And I reached down and kind of pushed it into the sand as I looked like I was taking it out of the sand. And uh, so then I said, oh, wow, look at this. This is a, a closed clam. So I started to put it close to her because I wanted to open it up so she'd see the ring. But she's allergic to shellfish. So she kept backing up as I put this clam close to her. But finally I popped it open, got on my knees and proposed, but she was so baffled by it all. It was wonderful and she said yes. And uh, here we are three years later. Wild will be back after this break. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Elias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. Now, back to the show. Megan. Eric. We've got even more listener love stories. Amazing. <laughs> it's like Christmas. So you and I both know that love is not always perfect and bad breakups are just a fact of our love lives. And you and our listeners might recall in episode two of our fictional rom-com this season, Luna breaks up with Eric outside a voodoo donuts. The real problem is that I just realized I don't think I'm ever going to marry you. Like, I don't see a future here. There is just no point in keeping up the charade. Which is why we also asked our listeners to send us stories about their worst breakups. Let's call them anti-love stories. One even involves a fax machine. Oh, man. I cannot wait to hear this. Yeah. Do people listening to podcasts know what fax machines are? Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you ready? Yep. Let's go! Sorry, that's my Megan 10 impersonation. <laughs> All right, let's go. Doesn't everyone know where to find love? You think in your backyard, it's so easy. No. So I met the guy that I ended up dating for just under a year in high school. And we had this 
will they, won't they, for a good part of 15 years. So from freshman year of high school to just shy of 30. And we reconnected because he was actually coming back from living in Venice or just close to Venice for the army. And we decided to, the same day he got back to L.A., go all the way from L.A. to Las Vegas and spend a weekend there. Um, And then he was supposed to be um, moved to a base near Nashville. And so for the most part of the next eight, nine months, I would basically have to fly from Los Angeles all the way out there. And it's so funny because the man would not give me the title of girlfriend. We dated for that entire time, all the flying, all the travel, all the commitment on my part. He could not give me a title. And finally, when he did say, I love you, he also in the same 24 hours said, I want to marry you. And I've thought about our marriage arrangements and I'm willing to do a prenup. That's normal. That's, again, nine months. And at the same time, my mom was in the hospital and he knew this. (laughs) Gets weirder. We break up about a month too later because he still had some other commitment issues and other issues to work through. Not even seven months after we broke up does he get married to a new person. So that's not a girlfriend. That's not a fiance. He is married now to a person. And that is my anti-love story. So I thought I was in love. I was introduced to this gentleman who was in my industry. I work in restaurants. I found somebody who was just really into the same things as myself. And I watched this relationship just go from vibing, loving the same things to just absolutely hating interacting with this person. And I realized it was because I never truly knew the person I was with. And I'm so happy to say that the moment that I learned this was when I actually went on a trip with this person to Mammoth as well as Lake Tahoe. Uh, We went for his birthday. I was paying for everything. I was excited. I really hadn't seen this person in ages because we were working so many hours different hours and when we finally got the chance to be with each other there was just no spark and it was awful I was in a relationship that lasted two years and on hindsight that was probably 18 months too long Robert broke up with me about three times And each time, I took him back. There's no explanation for it. I took him back. I think I thought I was in love. Anyway, I had to move across the world to Japan. And we agreed that we would still be in a relationship, a long-distance relationship, and just see where it took us. After I had been in Japan for a couple of months, I was walking through the building to my office. And as I do each day, I glanced down at the fax. And yes, it was that long ago when faxes were still a thing. 
So I glanced down at the fax machine and recognised the writing on one of the faxes. It was Robert's writing. So I grabbed the fax and went up to my office to read it after I don't know how many other people must have read it that day. And it was a Dear John letter. He was breaking up with me by fax. And I'm sure it was on the advice of his mother. Because even though he was mid-twenties, heading towards his thirties, he still sought his mother's advice about our relationship. I was devastated and broken-hearted and wanted to take to my bed, but obviously I couldn't. And then about a week later, Robert called me. And after eight hours on the telephone, he broke down my defences and I took him back. I took him back. You heard correctly. Anyway, our relationship limped on for a few more months and I went to visit him in the country that he was living in. After I came back from then, I had one of Oprah's aha moments and realised the relationship was over full stop. So I decided to call him up, not send a fax. I wouldn't be that cruel after all. Who does that? I called him up and told him that the relationship was over. He didn't quite believe me and asked me if I was certain that was what I wanted. I told him I was absolutely certain and that I had said all along to him that if there ever came a time where I thought the relationship was not working, I would break up with him and I would never take him back. And so I told him that that time had come and I never got back with him. Hmm. Let me start from the end for a change. I broke up a relationship with a restraining order. Not my favorite way to do it. I realized that not only did I have to keep myself safe, but I had a lot to learn about love and people and mostly myself. I was very fortunate to have an incredible woman support me through the process my first time in court, and thank God the bathroom wasn't far away because ugh, it was really scary. I also had a sweet friend who weeks before, when she found out what was happening, threw a legal pad in front of me and said, write. And I did. Writing the story of my three-year relationship on paper for me to see how it progressed from fun and casual to scary and terrifying was really helpful. And the craziest thing was, that I took that 14-page document with me to court, and the judge actually accepted it as evidence, called a recess, read it, and gave me the restraining order. It was the beginning of my liberation. What came next was what's most important. I went to support groups for women with domestic violence issues, and I met a lot of women from all walks of life. All of us shaken up, all of us surprised that we ended up in a relationship like this, and all of us shocked that our stories were so similar. I was so tremendously moved by what I learned in that group that I asked if I could volunteer to support this program. They explained to me that there was a six-month waiting period after being in the group and then a 40-hour training before I could run the groups. And when I asked when the next training was, they said, 
six months from now, and I immediately said goodbye to my sisters and left. Six months later, I showed up, and I stayed for 12 years. Helping women find their voice and their empowerment and their sense of possibility in a life that felt impossible was like the charge to my electric car before I had one. I was so inspired by doing that volunteering that I decided to change my career and become a licensed therapist and, ironically, a conscious uncoupling coach. I remember so clearly the day after one of our fights had become, you know, more violent We went out to breakfast as if nothing had happened, and I sat in the outdoor restaurant and felt like I was living in a glass cage. Hopeless, sad, and scared. It's so fulfilling to be able to take what felt like torture and turn it into meaning. As a trauma expert, I now know that my partner had grown up in violence and alcoholism and had little control at that point over what he was expressing. But my direction was clear. Find the support accept the support, and when the time is right, be the support. Compassion, I learned, is the only thing that will save this world. Wild will be back after this break. Flash flood warnings across Coachella Valley. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm Aaron Stone, the climate emergency reporter at LAist. Desalination really should be considered as a last resort. I bring you the information and connections you need to understand, cope with, and prepare for the changes caused by the climate emergency. Potential for what's called land spouts, which are basically like mini tornadoes. LAist, independent journalism, fact-based journalism. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. Now, back to the show. So we're just about at the end of this episode, and it's a little bittersweet, Megan, because that means that this season of Wild is over. And it has been a wild ride. (laughs) Sorry, our senior producer Anjali wrote that for me. She can't stop making me say these puns. (laughs) In these final stories, we are back to those big grand gestures people made for love. Did they work? Let's find out. I first met my husband in the summer of 1987. He was making a film on the Yale campus and I was doing public relations for the university and I was assigned the task of making certain that the film crew did not ruin the mansion that was being used as the location. So when we got there and we opened up the mansion doors we realized that it had been vacant for about 30 maybe 40 years and had been left to the university and it was really dusty and spider webs and cobwebs and just a mess so i helped him we went to home depot and we purchased lots of cleaning supplies and over the course of the next week we just talked and cleaned and talked and cleaned and then went to eat and we fell just magically in love 
After the film was finished, I was leaving to go to Europe, and it was going to be my first time in Europe. I was in my early 20s, and I was going solo, but in a group. So Miguel got my itinerary from me and said, would you mind if I met you at the end of your trip in Venice? And I said, that would be fantastic. I would love that. So as I went across Europe, every time I got to a new city and checked into a new hotel, Miguel would have a telegram waiting for me in the language of the country I was in. So obviously in France, you know, it was some beautiful thing in French. I don't remember how he said it, but it was, I can't wait to see you in Venice. And then by the, then I went to Italy and it was, you know, counting the days until we meet in Venice. And then I was in Capri and, you know, the day is almost here until we meet in Venice. So I left my group and took the train by myself and went to Venice and we had a hotel picked out and I got there first and waited for him to come. And of course, by that time, we were just so heated. You know, it was you know, heated to the boiling point. We were so excited. We ended up having the most amazing four day weekend of our lives. And we're still together now after 35 years. He's my husband. After being married to my husband, Jim, for 57 years, I had experienced many romantic gestures, but this one topped them all. The story began when the 2017 Angels baseball schedule was announced in the spring, and Jim noticed that the Angels had a home game on September 14th, which would be my 80th birthday. Without a word to me, he sent a request to the Angels' office asking them if his wife could throw out the first pitch at the Angels' game on that date. At first, his request was rejected, but he did not give up, and finally a letter came from the owner of the Angels, Artie Marino, congratulating me on being chosen to throw out the first pitch on my 80th birthday. Little did I know that all summer my husband was planning more surprises. He contacted family members from all over the country and made arrangements for them to fly in for the game. He rented a suite right above home plate, ordering food and tickets for everyone. The date arrived, and while I was on the field with Angel's personnel, family members from six different states, including all six grandchildren, ranging in age from 16 to 26, were in the suite watching me as I hefted the ball into the air and saw it bounce one foot in front of the catcher. As we left the field and walked to the area where our seats were located, an arm suddenly guided me toward a door, and when it opened, the entire family was there. Tears and hugs began. If I thought that the game and the suite were the whole surprise, I was mistaken. The next morning, I walked into the kitchen and my husband introduced me to a catering crew who had prepared breakfast for the whole crowd. A large table was decorated with bouquets of roses and set with our good china and silver. Special food had been prepared and a stack of cards sat by my place setting. 
The breakfast lasted two hours with lots of stories and laughter. But that wasn't all. The celebration continued for the next two days. Jim had ordered special drapes to close off one of the rooms and hired a massage therapist who gave everyone massages. That night, he had made reservations for everyone at my favorite restaurant, followed by theater tickets for a Broadway musical. The following night, he had a musical trio show up at our backyard family barbecue to sing love songs from our era, the 1950s. Our entire 57 years as husband and wife included many acts of deep love, but I have to admit, that weekend of celebration surprises captured the number one spot. Sadly, 15 months after the celebration, Jim was hospitalized with double pneumonia and died six days later. It has now been five years since his passing, but the demonstration of love as he planned that weekend will always fill my heart with joy and gratitude. Thank you to Trevecca Akom, Deb Zeitman, Allison Gray, Jeff Garrett, Alexandra Slacken, Mayuri Patel, Maxine Neely, Judy Waters, Lori Valenti, and Nancy Bauer for sharing their love stories with us. The good, the bad, and everything in between. We loved hearing them. Love. I'm tired of arguing with you. Wild is written, directed, and co-hosted by me, Eric Galindo. It is also written, directed, and co-hosted by me, Megan Tan. Megan and I created Wild together. And shout out to our wonderful production team. We'll let them introduce themselves. Hey, I'm senior producer Anjali Sastry-Kerbacek. I'm a showrunner, writer, and director on the show, and I produced and sound designed this episode. I'm Emma Alabaster, producer and sound designer. I love helping make the world of Wild come to life. I'm Kyle Chang, producer and sound designer on the show. I am Sarah Burnett. I produced and wrote this episode with Anjuli. I'm Donald Paz, the engineer. I recorded, mixed, and mastered the show. Our writer's room also included Bruno Lopez Vega and Victoria Alejandro. This season, Wild starred Melina Bobadilla as Luna, Gabrielle Ruiz as Angela, Atsuko Okatsuka as Liz, Vanessa Arcia as Elvia, Eduardo Perez as Manuel, Taylor Kaufman as Dr. Isaac, Rafael Agustin as Carlo, and special thanks to all of our voice actors who are a part of the show this season. We couldn't have done this without you. Austin Cross is our announcer. Shana Naomi Crockmall is our Vice President of Podcasts. Catherine Mailhouse is our Director of Content Development. Thanks to the entire team at LAS Studios, including Antonio Cerejido, Jens Campbell, Taylor Kaufman, Sofia Palisacar, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Constantino, and Leo G. Wild is a production of LA Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. It really does. They are not wrong. <laughs> 
And that's a wrap. This season has been absolutely incredible. Thank you for listening to this wild audio drama and supporting season two of Wild. It means a lot to me to get to work on a show, to make a show for my community that centers my community, to work with this incredible team. And we want everyone to hear it. So please tell your friends, tell your friends' friends, tell your family friends, tell your friends' family, rate and review the show. We appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. LAist Studios operates within the homelands of the Gabrielino Tongva tribe. We recognize the painful history of displacement, settler colonialism, and erasure of the people, their language, and their sovereignty. Visit laist.com land for more information. We encourage you to get curious about the land on which you live and work. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting a private corporation funded by the American people. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever and how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.